Brothers and sisters, I invite you to open with me uh, now in the book of 2 Kings. Uh, our text today is chapter 5 and verses 1 through 15. 2 Kings 5, 1 through 15. This is really the first half of this story of Naaman and his being healed of leprosy. Uh, trust, I think it's going to be Pastor Collins probably preaching to you next week, the second half of this chapter. Uh, but we come today, 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through uh, 15. Let's now hear this word of the living God. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, uh, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel, and the king of Syria said, Well, go now, and I will send a letter. To the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh uh, shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God, and Wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? And so he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. This ends this reading in God's word. Let's again seek his face in prayer. Lord, we thank you for every sentence of your holy word. We thank you for this story far away in a land of Syria about a man, Naaman, and a little servant girl and a prophet. <coughs> and we thank you, O Lord, for the way that you 
are the things that you have to teach us, even from this incident today. Be our teacher now, uh, we pray. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. Our Lord is uh, the King, not only of uh, the nation of Israel, but of all of the earth. He is the one who is not only able to save a select few, but to save many from different countries, different places, different stations in life. We really have a beautiful illustration of that in this particular Old Testament story. We are reminded that God is sovereign, even in the land of Syria, a nation that was historically one of the enemies of God. And yet even here, God shows his wonderful and sovereign grace. There's many lessons to learn here. We're going to kind of march our way consecutively through this this chapter, and I want us to do it now under four different headings as we see four things about Naaman. First of all, out of verse 1, we're going to see Naaman's leprosy. Secondly, in verses 2 and 3, Naaman's evangelist. Thirdly, verses 4 through 12, Uh, Naaman's pride. And then lastly, verses 13 and 14, Naaman's cleansing. So Naaman's leprosy, his evangelist, his pride, and his cleansing. Uh, First of all, Naaman's leprosy. Naaman's introduced for us in the first verse of of chapter 5. And here we are introduced to one of the greatest and most successful, most famous, most accomplished men in the entire world uh, during the 700s B.C. Uh, He is the commander of the army of the king of Syria, a very successful and powerful army, an army that had gained a victory even over uh, the Israelites. Uh, These were Israel's greatest enemies, their arch nemesis to the north, but it was a nation of extraordinary power, and Naaman was in charge of it all. He was the commander of the army of Syria. But he's described as well as a great man, a great man with his master, and in high high favor. He was great and honorable. He was the king's right-hand man. He was one of his most trusted counselors. He would have been highly regarded for his military skill. He was a national hero of sorts. It is interesting to acknowledge that the victories that he accomplished even weren't just his own victories. They were those which the Lord himself had given him and given uh, to Syria. But here was a man, successful, honorable, uh, courageous. He would have been the type of man that men respected, that boys idolized, the kind of man that they wanted their daughters uh, to marry. Uh, I don't know, you could perhaps think of an American equivalent. I think even of Dwight David Eisenhower after World War II, a man so popular and uh, highly esteemed by many that it was said that he could have easily won uh, the presidential nomination from either political party. Uh, had he chosen uh, to run. It was a complete landslide. Uh, He was a man of extraordinary importance. And that's the kind of level that we're talking about with this man, Naaman. 
However, at the very end of verse 1, we're told one additional thing about him. And it's something that overshadows everything else. We are told, but he was a leper. A leper. Now, leprosy is described in the Bible, uh, covered a variety of different skin disease. It's not necessarily equivalent to uh, modern-day Hansen's disease, uh, which is modern-day leprosy. Uh, But nonetheless, it was a deadly disease. It was highly contagious. It consisted of putrefying sores that uh, covered uh, the skin. A few things were feared as much as leprosy in Israel. So horrifying was the disease that somebody afflicted with it had to cry out, unclean, unclean, wherever he went. And Naaman, though extraordinarily powerful and accomplished, nonetheless contracted this disease. And we don't know how, but he had it. It seems to impact everything else. Uh, that he faced. Alexander Stewart makes this, I think, wry observation about all men. He says, For all people, when the lot seems most prosperous and desirable, there is always a, quote, but to be set over against the pleasantness. And it is a teaching that no matter that there is no amount of wealth There's no amount of power, there's no amount of fame which can keep people from tragedy and suffering. Uh, Financial collapse, uh, mental illness, a sudden loss caused by natural disaster, deadly disease, death to loved ones and the family, abandonment by people you care about. And the list could go on and on is something which affects all people of all classes. And there is no amount of worldly success which provide a guarantee that these things won't come upon us. And you know, the unbeliever has very few resources uh, to face these things. But for believers, we can know that these things come from the hand of our God. That our God has great purposes, even in the tragic things he brings into our lives. And indeed, we can even look at Naaman, as it were, looking back upon his life. And we can see that it was this very leprosy that the Lord is going ultimately to use to bring Naaman to saving faith in the God of Israel. And so it seems like a very bad thing. In his own resources at the time, he has nothing to handle it with, and yet under the providence of God, he is going to use it in some absolutely extraordinary ways in Naaman's life. That's the perspective that we often need to have on the kind of buts of our lives. The Lord brings things into our lives. They're not things that we ask for or would ever wish or would wish upon anyone else. And yet the Lord has good purposes in them uh, for his children. How good it is to be a believer, and to know uh, the sovereign care of our God. That's Naaman's leprosy. We come now, secondly, to Naaman's evangelist. 
Naaman's evangelist. Naaman is going to get help under God's providence from a very unlikely source. Beginning in verse 2, we are introduced to a second person, and the contrast could not be greater with Naaman. Naaman is a man of wealth, fame, and power, a household name. But then we are told in chapter 2 that these Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. She's never named. We, We don't know what her name was. It was a little girl. And imagine the tragedy of it. There she was growing up in an Israelite home, probably with a godly mom and dad. And on one of these raids, she was ripped from that home, enslaved by the Syrians, and made to serve as a slave, Naaman and his wife. It was a tragic upbringing. A terrible existence, separated now from her family and from her homeland and from all religious influence and from all the normal joys of childhood. None of that this little girl got to experience. She was a slave. And yet, even in this little girl, uh, we find true faith, perhaps one of the more unlikely of places. Uh, Indeed, The Bible tells us that it's often the last who will be first and the first who will be last. And this little girl stands out as one of the great heroes of faith uh, in the Old Testament. But what is it that she does? Although enslaved, she doesn't become bitter. But rather, hearing upon her master Naaman's illness, she, in love to the person who enslaved her, suggests to... Mrs. Naaman, his wife. Oh, Naaman, oh, if he just went to the prophet who is in Samaria, that prophet would cure him of his leprosy. See, this little girl had true faith. She knew of the prophet. She believed that he was truly a prophet of God and able by God's power to cure Naaman. And she loved Naaman enough to direct him there. And it was a little girl here who opened his mouth, her opened her mouth, and it was ultimately because she opened her mouth that eventually Naaman himself uh, would come to know uh, the Lord. I think that can be a tremendous encouragement to children and to young people. Do you know, this is just a little Hebrew girl, a little girl who served Naaman. And what did this little girl do, but she told somebody else about Jesus? Even if you are a little girl in this room, no matter your age, you can be somebody who tells others about the Lord Jesus Christ. You can open up your mouth and speak about Jesus. And the Lord is able, in fact, he frequently does, use the testimony even of little children Uh, for the salvation of of others. Uh, What a wonderful thing it is. We ought to be looking, even as this little girl does, at situations as opportunities to make a difference for Jesus Christ. And so that's Naaman's uh, evangelist. 
But now thirdly, I want us to consider Naaman's pride. Naaman's pride. Uh, So Naaman uh, hears of uh, the direction of this little girl, and rather remarkably, he believes what she says. Maybe he was out of other options, but maybe the Spirit of God was beginning to work in Naaman's heart as well. And so Naaman goes to the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad himself, a mighty and powerful man, and uh, appeals to him. And Ben-Hadad writes a letter on Naaman's behalf uh, to the king of Israel. And so Naaman himself begins to load up a variety of gifts. We're told, verse 5, 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 changes of clothing. It was extraordinary wealth (laughs) that Naaman was bringing with him. A a gift of enormous measure. And he goes and he brings that along with a letter uh, to the king of Israel. Uh, that says that Naaman was being sent so that he might be cured of his leprosy. Uh, Well, how should have the king responded? Well, the king should have known that there was a prophet in Israel who was a true prophet of God. That there was a man who, by God's power, could cure others. And he should have sent, out of true faith, should have sent this man Naaman straight on to Elisha, but he did not. Uh, The Israelite king was a wicked king indeed. And all that he could think of was his own political power and station. And he viewed all of this as a threat and as a kind of pretense to make war again upon Israel. And so he shudders with the prospect of what is going on here. What a wicked and useless king uh, he was. But Elisha, the man of God, uh, catches wind of what is going on. He hears of it. And so he, the man of God, hears that the king of Israel had torn his clothes and he goes on and sends to the king and asks him the question, well, why have you torn your clothes? Let this man, Naaman, now come to me so that he may know indeed that there is a prophet uh, in Israel. Elisha intervenes. There is a man in Israel who still believes in the living God. And so Naaman Uh, hears of this, and he goes and he heads off to Elisha's house, and he heads off uh, with his whole entourage. And again, the the image is almost comical of uh, Naaman's mighty horses and chariots and these enormous gifts and coming now uh, to the house of this simple prophet, this man of God. What happens when Naaman now arrives? And in these events that follow, Uh, we have uh, really a description of how uh, Naaman himself uh, uh, is is, is dealt with by Elisha. And he still has pride of which he needs to be emptied. We really see a couple of things about, uh, about his approach now to Elisha. And the first is this, uh, that he needs... Uh, to humble himself before the Lord. You know, Naaman comes. He is extraordinarily wealthy. He's extraordinarily important. He comes to this simple prophet, we're told, with all of his horses and chariots. He arrives at the door of Elisha's house. He's a mighty Syrian 
a commander, and we're told that Elisha doesn't even go and greet him himself, but rather sends a messenger with a message to go and wash in the Jordan seven times. But Naaman was angry. That was his response in verse 11. And the reason that he is angry is in these words. He says, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure and cure the leper. He, he says, well, can't he see that I'm a man of some wealth and some importance? And, well, can't he just kind of come out here and, and do his thing? You know, his prophet thing uh, in my midst. Do it in the way that he expects. And uh, th- that's what he wanted. Uh, Alexander McLaren puts it this way. He says that Naaman wanted to be treated like a great man who happened to be a leper. But Elisha's cure treated him like a leper who happened to be a great man. It is a reminder that for any of us to receive good from the Lord's hand, to receive the Lord's blessing and the Lord's uh, deliverance in our lives, it first of all involves a humbling of ourselves. We come not with all of our earthly accomplishments and possessions, uh, but we come, as it were, naked, looking to the Lord for dress, helpless, looking to the Lord for grace. It's said that at the foot of the cross, all the ground is level. None of us above any other, but all of us bowing, as it were, before our God in desperate need. And that's really how Naaman needed to come. You see, the Lord was working in in Naaman's heart and Naaman's life. He was one who needed uh, to be humbled. But not only is he one who needs to humble himself, He secondly is one who needs to believe the message. Elisha's message to Naaman was extraordinarily good news. Naaman, just go to the River Jordan. Go, wash, and you're going to be cleansed. Go, dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River. And this leprosy that so plagues you, that so overshadows your life, that so uh, uh, has dominated you and uh, uh, soiled everything, uh, spoiled everything in your life, go wash and you're going to be clean. It was a simple message. It was a beautiful message. But it was a message that was almost too hard to believe. Uh, Naaman begins to process this and he thinks, well, why would he send me there? That doesn't make any sense. I could go. I have, I have better rivers than the River Jordan. Jordan, that's a filthy river. I have better rivers to go to than that. And he, he says, well, there's a better way of doing it than what the prophet's saying. Oh, the response of so many people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel simply says, come to Jesus. Come to him with all of your sin and all of your uncleanness. Come to Him with all of your filthiness, all of your rottenness. Don't make yourself better before you come. Just come to Jesus as you are. Come and be cleansed. What a simple gospel message it is, and yet how few do it in their pride, in their sin, in their unbelief. Well, why would I want to do that? It doesn't make any sense, and they... They rationalize and they they come up with all sorts of other ways of of how they ought to live or what they ought to do with their 
their time. Why would I go to Jesus like that? And the gospel message is simply that. Just go. Go to Jesus and be cleansed. Oh, that Naaman would would do that. He doesn't at first. But then he finally he finally does. And that does bring us now finally and fourthly to Naaman's cleansing. Because finally we see in verse 13 that Naaman's servants begin to reason with him. And what they speak is the truth. My father, it is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, just go wash and be clean? They reason with him. Isn't this such a simple word that he has given? Won't you do it, Naaman? And now Naaman, stripped of his pride, stripped of all of his accomplishments, stripped of his own reasoning about what he ought to do, now submits to what the Lord says, to the Lord's simple command. And he follows that. And he goes down, we're told, verse 14, down to the Jordan River and dips himself seven times now in the Jordan. You can imagine watching Naaman as he steps into that Jordan River. And he dips himself into the river one time and he comes back up. He's still leprous. He goes down a second time. Then a third and a fourth and a fifth. Even a sixth time. And you say, well, can this Jordan River cleanse a man like this? But that's the point. It's not the Jordan River that's cleansing Naaman. But rather it's the word and the promise of Almighty God who said, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. And so that seventh time finally comes. And Naaman dips himself the seventh time according, and you see how explicit it is, according to the word of the man of God. Seventh time he dips himself into the Jordan River. And as he comes up, what do we see? We may see a man radically changed with flesh suddenly restored, even like the flesh, the pure, beautiful Smooth skin, even of a little child. And he was clean. God's word was true. Naaman is cleansed at the word of Almighty God. What happened with Naaman in this Jordan River teaches us several things. It teaches us, on the one hand, of the sureness of God's promise. When God made a promise through the man of God, go wash and be clean. God is one who always keeps His promises. Every promise that He gives us is absolutely true and we can depend upon it. We see as well here the greatness of God's power. As we said, it isn't the Jordan River that cleansed Naaman. There was no natural cleansing agent in the Jordan, but rather it was Almighty God who used this means to cleanse Naaman of all of his leprosy. And so we see here the greatness of God's power, but most of all here we see a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ, do we not? That even as Naaman was told to go and cleanse himself in the Jordan River, so we are told, of a greater cleansing, a cleansing from sin and from uncleanness 
that occurs for each one of us in the blood of Jesus Christ. Zechariah 13.1 says that in that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. And that fountain, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you place your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are washed free from the stain of your sin. And you are washed not only in part, but you are washed in whole. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Isaiah, uh, in, in the prophet Isaiah, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. It's a beautiful, beautiful gospel promise of complete cleansing by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're going to sing in just a few moments that beautiful hymn that there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there have I, as vile as he, washed all my sins away. Do you know that Naaman's cleansing is actually mentioned by the Lord uh, Jesus Christ himself? Uh, the passage is Luke chapter 4 and verse uh, 27. And there he gives this instruction to uh, the people of Israel. He says this. He says, that there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And this reminds us that there is no amount of religious privilege. It is not merely growing up in a Christian home or even around the sound of the gospel itself that saves, just as it wasn't simply growing up in Israel itself that could save lepers from their leprosy. But rather, Naaman was one who came and who heard and who believed the word of the prophet. And God proved himself strong to save. So it is for us as well. Are you one who believes that word of of the gospel, that there is true cleansing that is to be found in Jesus Christ. And if so, then whoever you are, from whatever background, from whatever nation you, you, you come from, no matter who you are, there is salvation, yes, even for you, in the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us uh, from all sin. Might we learn that glorious lesson from this little account of Naaman and his leprosy. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for the gospel promise that all who look in faith to Jesus Christ shall be cleansed. Cleansed not only of our diseases, but cleansed of those terrible spots that stick to us because they arise out of our hearts, namely the spot of our own sin. We thank you that you, the God who can cleanse an important man of his leprosy, is the God who is able to cleanse us also. Lord, we do pray that you would humble us under your hand, that we would learn not to bring our own accomplishments, not our own abilities before you, not to 
make our own arrangements with God, uh, work out our own contracts with you, but rather simply to submit to the word of promise, to believe in the gospel which you have given us, and to find salvation in Jesus Christ. Lord, do these things, we pray. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.